Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Cloud Wars Live. The digital revolution is in full swing. We are trying to keep up with what's going on there, the impact it's having on our personal lives, our business lives, every part of our lives. And it's hard to tell these days where the difference between personal and professional actually happens. One of our dear friends, Tony Uphoff, who was the CEO of Thomas and has been a regular on the show for about three years, Thomas was recently acquired, as Tony discussed in a recent episode about that. But now Tony's had some fascinating opportunities to get around, talk to a lot of interesting folks. We're going to chat about that some today and about a particularly interesting spot in Tony's way of thinking now, which is what's the ROI for technology these days and how should executives think about it? Tony, welcome back. It's always a pleasure to have you. Hey, Bob, it's great to see you. Thanks for uh, having me back on. And uh, boy, I, there's a lot going on out there. And as, as you and I were talking a little in the preamble, um, I feel a little bit like I've been on a listening tour, perhaps being able to hear without immediately filtering it through my immediate business model, if that makes sense. So it's it's been fun to engage with a broad range of folks and talk about technology and technology trends. Yeah. So, Tony, could you just um, clarify for everybody, sort of what is your status with Thomas right now? Is it still ongoing? And then because uh, that'll put into context, you know, this your the listening tour that you've described. You bet. Yeah. So for some of your listeners that, that may not be aware of it, I, I had the great fortune for the last uh, five plus years to run Thomas and the core platform of ThomasNet.com, which is the leading resource for industrial buyers sourcing products and custom suppliers, a couple of million times a month, engineers, procurement professionals using that platform. We were approached uh, last year and ultimately ended up selling Thomas to Zometry, which is a publicly traded on-demand manufacturing marketplace. And when you put these remarkable businesses together, you have this front-end demand engaging this very large and fast-growing marketplace with an on-demand manufacturing marketplace. So, you know, you and I talk about vertical cloud and what's happening in different areas. Fascinating that while you and I were talking about this, I was living this dynamic of it coming together. After the transaction, I've been helping a lot with the integration and the transaction itself. And I was really flattered. Uh, Randy Altschuler, who's the CEO of Zometry, approached me and said, hey, would you stay on to be a senior advisor? So I advise Randy and the executive team. And uh, it affords me the chance to stay actively involved. And I'm putting in probably 10-ish hours a week. So it gives me the chance to, to keep involved in the product development and some of the things that are going on at the company there, um, but also staying in touch with the direction that I think we're in the early innings of things like on-demand manufacturing marketplaces, which are still very new business models and moving very quickly. Uh, Tony, it's just, it's just wow. It's so fun to hear what's going on there. Uh, you know, the threads running through, you get to step away a little bit from the day-to-day -day stuff. You get to stay involved in that very cool company and its new owners with what's going on there. But also, I think, as you said, you know, we, we hit a point in our lives where I don't know how you would measure the number of conversations we've had. Is it millions, hundreds of millions? You know, who knows what the number is? And you reflect back on them. And I, I think I'm, I'm not going to ask you to, you know, confess on this, but I haven't always been a good listener, right? There's times you go in and thinking, hey, if by, you know, seven minutes in, if this doesn't appear to be, a, you know, I'm going to tune out. There's other people, just the nature of the conversation. It's, it can be great. It can be maybe not so great. 
but it's really, really been fun to hear you talk about that range of folks that you've yeah. had a chance to talk to lately. And I know that your span of interests involve everything from, you know, building companies, uh, you know, reinfusing growth inside companies, manufacturing, industrial stuff, the, the highest end of the high tech business, um, how business try to position and articulate, compete, you know, this whole thing that's going on for customers. So I, I just thought it was wild. So I, I hope today we'd be able to do a couple of things, Tony, if it works for you. Tell us a little bit about some of the people you've been chatting with on, on uh, this listening tour that you've described. And then I'd really love to hear from your conversations and your own thinking, what is the mindset for business leaders today about yep. the balancing the right thing, technology, ROI, cost center? Uh, you know, what is it? It's yep. just a wild time right now. Yeah. Well, let me give you a little bit of, you know, breadth here. So to your point, I started, you know, once the transaction was announced, I was in a, you know, it's, it's fantastic to be in a position where people reach out. And those could be folks that I know that want to just catch up and, hey, what happened? Have it go. And, hey, that's exciting. What are you going to do next? Can I, can I pick your brain about this, that, or the other thing? And when I started to look at the range of folks I started to engage with, they range from, you know, private equity firms, venture capital firms, investment banks, um, to a very broad uh, number of uh, senior executives, CEOs, CXOs in technology companies, um, in marketing uh, organizations or firms, and also media companies, but then also, Bob, all the way through to an accelerator where I do some mentoring at an accelerator here in Southern California called Mucker Labs, and then also academia. Yeah. And, you know, probably two to three calls or meetings a day type of thing. And, you know, a couple of months of that, I'm sort of realizing, boy, I'm, I'm hearing from a, a, a fairly broad range, different types of industries, different ways of, of, of looking at the world. Um, but there are some patterns that start to emerge, uh -huh. kind of to your point. And, and I think one other thing I would, I would mention before I, I start talking about those patterns, you were very kind in not noting that my attention span can be rather fleeting at various times. So Ooh. while it appears that, look, something shiny, <laughs> uh, it, while it, it, it may appear that I'm listening in depth at various times, I tend to, to be a little kinetic at times. And, and it's something I literally, even at this stage of my career in life, I, I work on. Um, but even within the context of that, I, I, I'd like to believe that I can actually listen while I can you know, kind of participate in, in, a, in a range of conversations. But I realize, you know, so much of that listening, I think we, it, it, particularly if you're running a PL, you tend to run what you're hearing through your business model. Right. You tend to think, be thinking, you know, you know, you might say something about the economy. My immediate reaction is, oh, I wonder what that's going to do to manufacturing. I wonder if that's going to affect the number of customers this month, you know, and, and, and your brain starts to, to take off. You know, being a half step removed from the day-to-day -day operations, I started to hear things and pick up things that I don't know that they're brand new, Bob, but boy, I felt like I was hearing them with fresh ears, if that makes sense. And, and I guess I say that for your listeners in context of, boy, you know, it, it, getting that breadth of perspective is so healthy, talking to customers, talking to peers, talking to colleagues but even talking to professionals outside of your industry. So 
Let me tee up one thing that, that kept coming up. I, I use this expression of spotting a pattern, you know, and I, I try to take pretty good notes when I'm having these conversations so I can go back and, and really reflect on it. This first came up from CEOs of other companies. And I would say they range from, you know, startup companies that I talk to, C-level folks, all the way up to, to larger companies. I think the largest company that I was, was chatting with was uh, about $2 billion in, in revenue. So a fairly broad range there. And the conversation would inevitably start to go towards tech trends. What do you look, what, what do you, what do you, you focus on? What do you think of this metaverse? Hey, what do you think of Web3? Hey, Tony, boy, you guys led a digital transformation. Take me through that. How did it actually work? What mistakes did you make? What would you do differently? Those types of things. But inevitably, Bob, those conversations started to kind of focus a little bit more on the ROI of technology. And early on, Bob, I'll tell you something, I wasn't actually well prepared for it because it kind of surprised me. I was like, you know, a couple of times I'd stop and I'd sort of say, what do you mean? Like, are you doubt, doubting the return of, of investment in technology? And the more I got into this, Bob, the more I realized what a lot of these particularly executives, but then I'll touch on the, the investment community and how they played in this. I think a lot of executives are struggling with a framework for how to understand ROI today. Perhaps there's a formula inside the framework, Bob, you know, Satya Nadella, as you well know, and you've written about this, has been very aggressive about saying, hey, we, we need to open our minds up about, you know, the, the percent of GDP we're spending against technology and how these things operate. So I think there's some of that in there. But it, it, it seemed to me like this was almost earlier than the formula. It was almost like, how do I wrap my head around a framework for understanding how I should be thinking about the return of investment of technology. Yeah, and Tony, you know that's that's wild. Uh, if I could just mention a couple of perspectives, I don't know, was it 20, 25 years ago, somewhere in there? But we were working together and came across this new um, piece that Peter Drucker had written about technology. He said, when you apply technology to an existing process, we call that efficiency. When you apply technology to a totally new process, that is innovation. So, uh, you know, it's not a necessarily a new thing to try to say, how should I be thinking about yeah. technology? But with the times, uh, the notion of how it works, where it works, how do you measure it? How do I know what is the right thing to do and where to go and how to pursue it? And the point you just made about, you know, Nadella's thing, right? And he just says, well, there's no question here. They, because, you know, the analysts want to talk to him about growth. And he said, it's 5% of GDP now, tech spending, and it's going to go to 10%. It's going to double because technology moves more deeply inside organizations. I think that's really hard for a lot of people to get. And Tony, one other thing involving, I think, financial analysts, as intelligent as they are, and for some of the remarkable thinking and analysis they do, sometimes they get stuck in, you know, maybe yesterday's or two years ago month. Yeah. Yeah, Amy Hood, the CFO of Microsoft, was speaking at an investors' conference a couple of weeks ago, and the the person asking the questions, the, the analyst, kept saying, "So, cloud is really good at helping control costs, right? You know, they're they're looking in these inflationary times, they're looking at cloud to drive down costs." And she was going, eh, "Yeah, yeah, kind of, sort of, but." So, if I said, 
Keith, let me tell you how the conversations with customers usually start. They say, I want to grow my business faster. I want to win more in the market. How can technology help me do that? Right? So if that is one of the drivers, and you've brought it up to some extent, you know, this is the CFO of Microsoft talking about it. From your own thinking, from your conversations with people, how should executives think about yeah. this framework for technology ROI? Yeah, it's interesting, Bob, because I, I very much started, a lot of these conversations started down one of two paths, right? One was, you know, and I, I, the reason I'm not naming company names and things like that, these were confidential conversations. And in some cases, these were executives letting their hair down a bit, and, you know, you know, opening up about things that, that they're frustrated with or don't understand as well as they'd like to. And I think um, of the companies I talked to, there were several public companies that I talked to, and I'm sure very similar to your discussion about Amy uh, Hood, you know, they're being asked questions by analysts and, you know, they're, 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 you know, they're trying to answer questions that fit into the financial box as well as the, the growth box. But I think the growth thing is a really interesting way to start to think about this. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's, there's a, an old adage about technology that it does one of two things. It either saves time or it saves money. And I think we, we, stuck, we, we got stuck in that metaphor for a very, very long time. It is still true, however. Yeah. That is absolutely true. But perhaps the ROI of technology is what I do with that saved money and saved time and where I reinvest that yeah. and what I put that into. And, and in having these conversations with several companies, that kind of aha moment around you know, technology is about growth. Yes, you might create something more efficient, but at the end of the day, if that increased efficiency doesn't allow you to reallocate resources and push growth, yeah. then frankly, okay, I, I don't know that, you, you know, your, your, your shareholders are going to be dazzled or your board's going to be dazzled because you got a half a percentage point where you turn the crank just a little bit more, right? And so, I know, you know, some of this came up, um, I had several folks that reached out and, and wanted, wanted kind of an in-depth understanding of how we transitioned Thomas. It was a bit of a turnaround and we got it back into growth. And, you know, most folks knew because I had shared this, um, is we, we didn't have access to outside capital. Family owned company, we didn't have incremental capital. We didn't take in incremental capital from private equity or other sources. We had to reallocate capital. And I've told the story on your program, Bob, many times before. We took you know, in inefficient investments and made them more efficient. And we ended up also becoming more profitable in the process, but it drove the growth. And I think that in a long way back to the, the core question, Bob, is I think we need to look at technology as a growth engine. And I think that that doesn't mean that you aren't making things more efficient, but if you're only looking at the efficiency, at Thomas, we used what we call BAU, business as usual when we were doing annual budgets. Our feeling is based on the investments we we're making in technology, business as usual should go down by 5%, whatever the function is. Mm -hmm. And then we would look at where do we reinvest that 5% so we can grow. And it, it was a it was a you know simple process. It's almost Forrest Gumpian in its nature. But Bob, those conversations 
were fantastic because it took people out of the green eye shade. I'm going to save 10 cents over here. Not that that's not important, but if the saving of that 10 cents isn't a path towards accelerating growth of your business, stepping into a new market, um, you know, doing some, you know, perhaps launching a new business model, then it's really not going to help you in the, in the, in the long run. So a bit of a ramble on there and I apologize, Bob, but, I think the framework that from these conversations emerges is really one of growth, right? How, how, do, I, how do I really understand technology as a growth you know, engine? And that seems sitting here in, in 2022, it seems kind of silly that we're still saying technology is a growth engine. But the fact of the matter is, I think a lot of companies struggle with rationalizing the investment of technology and a direct connection to growth. And so the, the slight framework that I've tried to help some of these companies with is an understanding of save time, save money. Were you able to do that? And almost 100% of the time they can say yes. What did you do with that extra time and that extra money? And there's a little bit of a light bulb moment, not always, but a little bit of a light bulb moment where you'll see the exec kind of go, oh, shoot, that's it. I didn't think of it that way. And I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not pointing out something, you know, some, you know, extraordinary insight here, but I do think it is a framework, but I guess where I'm going, Bob, and I'll, then I'll, I'll, I'll stop. Um, I think we need frameworks that allow the C-suite executives and the board for that matter to understand frameworks for tech as a growth and revenue driver. And, and I think it, it seems funny that we're still saying this, but I think it's more important than it's ever been because I, I'm not so sure that it's into the zeitgeist of how a lot of companies actually operate. Yeah, Tony, that, that's fascinating. I, I wanna uh, pick up on that in a second here, but first just a word from our sponsor, BMC. We all know what the A game is, right? That's the highest level of performance among athletes. And you can get to that level in business as well. BMC calls this the autonomous digital enterprise. It's when technology and people work in harmony. And that's how business reaches its A-game. You can find out more at bmc.com slash A-game. So, Tony, it's interesting, you know, what you said that there were a number of executives, they kind of did the hard part of, um, you know, getting to that point where they saved the time, they saved the money. And it made me think of uh, guys, a, a basketball coach at Marquette in the 70s and 80s, uh, Al McGuire, a uh, real character, uh, zany, zany guy. And he, was a, he became a basketball announcer for a while. And in a couple of games, he would love to come to this point. He'd say, you know, you get into the second half and one team is down by 10 and they make this furious comeback and they tie the game. And he said, so often you will see that team that has just had this great comeback. You can see him take a big breath and relax. And then the other yeah. team pulls away. And he said, it always tells guys, the goal is not to catch up. The goal is to win. Yeah. And yeah. so we, we, we saved the money. We saved the time. It sort of didn't flip it over to the other side. And, you know, Tony, it's something to do with now. Cloud Wars being part of a large organization, acceleration economy. So it's into our name and certainly to how we think about things. But that um, that notion of, sitting still or not uh, feeling like, you know, every day where I didn't make a significant move forward, my competitors probably did, or my customers flipped their expectations up a little bit higher. So uh, that, that notion of 
save time, save money, and apply it, you know, jump into that, move it forward. And then, Tony, the one other thing I'd love to get your thoughts on this, too, is culturally, how do you make that be not just sort of a mandate that's sort of written on the walls of the C-suite knows about it, but people on the company say, well, I hear what they said. I'd love to participate. I don't know how I'm supposed to have anything to do with that. So how did you take that idea of, say, you know, with the 5%, how'd you push that into the company and have people feel like I can make a difference here? I don't want to just tie the game. I want to win the game. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I would say far and away, that's the hardest part for me, at least in my experience. And, and I, I've had the good fortune to be brought into organizations, you know, a few times in my career that needed to be turned around and we were successful in doing so. And um, it, it, it is, uh, you know, you mentioned Peter Drucker earlier, you know, his famous line of culture eats strategy for breakfast is so true. And you and I've talked about that before. So the cultural uh, adoption is, is really a challenge. It's exacerbated, Bob, oftentimes, particularly in legacy companies, where you might be introducing new technologies that really do save time or save money. And the adoption of those can be very frightening to people. Think of billing departments, think of finance departments, and I'm not picking on on those functions. Think of customer service uh, or customer success departments, um, the efficiency of sales organizations, oftentimes the introduction of new technology underscores perhaps a sense that maybe we weren't being as efficient as we could be. So there is, there is and will continue to be, I think, some trepidation in, in culture. I, I think the, the way I've always tried to approach it is the, the, the you know, proven way of over-communicate. You know, be very clear what you're trying to get accomplished here. It, it, I've had to make the very difficult statement of saying, we need to cut. 20% of the cost out of this company. And, you know, I, I've only had to, to been in that position a couple of times in my career, uh, thankfully, but, you know, I, I communicated it openly. It was painful. We, we tried to handle it as best that we could. But if you're getting up in front of a group of people and saying, hey, we're introducing this technology and it's going to, um, you know, increase all this efficiency, and there's no vision for what we're going to do with that increased efficiency. People are smart, Bob. Come on, you know. And and I think that's where where leaders, particularly at the C-suite or at the board level, are are just being blatantly naive. You know, people are smart. I don't care what industry you're in; they sense it, and cultures can feel that. And that doesn't mean you have to have all the answers. I think if you're introducing technology and anticipating there's a savings of either money or time within that, I think you can say, hey, we project this is going to happen. We need your help to make that happen. And as we do, we're going to plug that into growth initiatives. And here's the top three growth initiatives that we have for the organization. Here's where we think we could, you know, we could do something different. We're going to increase marketing or reach new customers. We're going to double down on you know, on uh, our sales staff to grow uh, revenue with existing customers, right? Um, we're looking at new acquisitions where we can bolt in and, you know, um, uh, you know build out on our position in a given marketplace. Um, I, I, think, I think those are the ways to do it, Bob. And I wish I was pointing out something that seemed more mystical or, you know, some secret to it. Um, but I have, I have made most of the mistakes. I have watched even more and I think being able to demystify 
the impact of technology. You don't have to be, you don't have to demystify the technology itself. You know, I, I'd like to think that I'm in the upper 1% of the people the under, that understand the impact of business technology, why it's adopted, how it's adopted, and the impact it has. I am nowhere near, it, 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 even in, in an upper quadrant of people that understand the underlying technology itself. That's not where I chose to put my focus and my emphasis. So with that, what I try to do is to demystify the impact. Here's what we think is going to happen. Here's why it's going to be good for you. And here's what we're going to do with, you know, the, the increased efficiency, the increased, uh, you know, uh, savings in time or money or whatever might come from the technology. I think oftentimes, um, Bob, we, we confuse um, the investment of technology with an increased efficiency with bloated organizations. Reverse those in order. If your company's bloated, just the fact that you're investing in technology is not going to magically save you from the very, very difficult thing of having to right-size an organization. And I will tell you, and you've been in these worlds too, Bob, nothing is more difficult as a, as a leader and a business executive to, to have to manage that. But I think oftentimes CXOs confuse those things, that there's some sort of magic to, well, I'm going to bring in the technology and that's going to wipe away it's going to magically create all this increased efficiency. And, you know, at the end of the day, if your company's bloated, making it more efficient through the use of technology is actually harder yeah. because you're still having to dedicate so many resources to manage. You get to have more managers managing more people because it's not clear what the incremental number of people in this inefficient organization are actually doing that's productive. Yeah. Tony, what you were just describing there about, you know, the, the bloated organization has to be dealt with first. That made me think, you know, whenever I decided I need to lose weight, I have gotten those big rubber wraps and you wrap them around you because it says if you do that and when you take it off, you'll be, you know, you'll have lost weight. So something in what you said made me think that that's not true. Well, you know, there, I, I had an early mentor in business that at the time it was so such an obvious and simple statement that I, I kind of dismissed it, but I realized how right he was. If something sounds too good to be true, it likely is. And I think of that, Bob. Now, I, I'd like the visual of you in saran wrap trying to, uh, to take out the midriff there. But, uh, you know, all kidding aside, it's a great metaphor to use. Yeah. It really is because I think, look, we're all under pressure as business leaders. We, we live in a fast paced world that's getting more complex. It's shifted from checkers to chess before our very eyes, every industry under the, under the sun. It's easy for me to sit here and say, well, gosh, it's technology that's gonna enable this and the adoption of technology and here's how you manage the culture. It's backbreakingly, mind numbingly difficult to do. And, and I think, you know, what, what I always try to remember as you're working through some of these things is if, if, you're, if, it, if, you're, if you're articulating it as this simple fix, this simple concept, this simple thing, you're not doing it justice. However, as a senior executive, your job is to demystify things, to simplify, not make it simple, but to simplify things so that people can understand it. And most importantly, so they can understand what their role is with it or in it, right? 
Let me back that thing. You know, so everybody in the organization knows, oh, that's how I can do it. That's where my future might be. Okay. Yeah, Tony, that um, I think uh, the recent conversation you and I have chatted about it that I had with Frank Slootman, the CEO of Snowflake, where he opens his new book, uh, Amp It Up, with an excerpt from Teddy Roosevelt's piece about the man in the arena. Yeah. Slootman was just totally unapologetic about that. And he said, if you haven't been in that combat seat and you haven't been asked to do these incredibly difficult things uh, where you don't have a guidebook for it. He said, uh, he said, that's why I tend not to pay attention to so-called experts. He said, because they're not experts because they, they haven't done it. They haven't lived through it. So yeah, I, I don't think uh, anybody would take, you know, what you've said lightly or that it's, you know, just, uh, quick and simple, uh, certainly not. But um, Professor, this has been a fascinating look at, you know, uh, some of the new adventures you're undertaking and the way that you bring this sort of filter to, to that notion that I think just about every executive and every business now is thinking about, I know I need this technology. I know I need to get to be digital and data driven and all that. How the heck do I do it? And I think you're the term you've used of the framework thinking about ROI has been really helpful. Yeah, Bob, thanks. It's great to uh, get a chance to catch up. And uh, I look forward to uh, further discussions. I'm going to keep my listening tour going on out there. If any of your listeners want to kick these ideas around, uh, feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. I'm, I'm enjoying the experience. And uh, I, I feel even at this stage of my career, I'm still learning uh, new things, new ways of thinking about things. And, and uh, perhaps there's frameworks that we can help some of your listeners with in the future to, to wrestle some of these issues to the ground. Well, Tony, that's a very lovely offer to the listeners and all. I, I have put together, uh, it's about 120 slides. It's a PowerPoint presentation on the history of software. I, so can I book uh, like two, three hours with you? Would you listen? A absolutely. So, you know, my Calendly, is up to speed. You just look on there, knock yourself out. You may have to look fairly far down the road for an opening, but don't let that. Uh... <laughs> Who could ask for Tony, thanks so much. It's been great. And folks, thanks to all of you for being with us here at Cloud Wars Live and our guest, Tony Uphoff, and some of the new adventures that he's digging into these days with a particular uh, insights on this notion of the frameworks around ROI and the ROI of technology. Thanks for being with us. We'll see you next time.